and welcome to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com. This is a deepening dialogue on the expansion of interfaith understanding and our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I am Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And to contact us or find out further information about what we do when we're not in the studio and on this program, you can go to the website inter, interfaithtalkradio.com, and that's also how you can reach us. We come to you each Monday from 5 to 6 p.m., and we invite you to share in a deepening conversation. We've been learning through these weeks. We've been realizing that we are raising topics that are much bigger than an hour can contain. So it seems that we're creating foundations for an expanding conversation. We invite you to visit the website and let us know how you feel we are doing. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of or Tell us what you'd like to hear less of. And our focus on this program has to do with the relationship between religion and the violent world in which we live. And so we begin with, why is religion at the heart of so much violence? Ted, you had a quote, I think, that was really something that really sparks that conversation. I actually did. I thought I was going to start the second segment with it now, but if I do it now, I won't have anything to say (laughs) when uh, we come back. But this was from a letter to the editor in the Seattle Times in early August. And I'm just going to quote a piece of it. It's uh, from a man named Stephen Black in Burien. He wrote, the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faiths all derive from worship of the God of Abraham. Taken together, he says, these three religions have offered nothing but war, death, and destruction for some 3,000 years. Fear not the WMDs, the weapons of mass destruction. Fear the people who claim to know God. Yeah, a very provocative statement and and one which in some ways is chilling because in some ways it's there's there's at least some truth in that and maybe more than just some because standing uh at some distance from all this we can see that religion things violent things have been done in the name of religion uh good things have been done in the name of religion too so there's a mixture there but I think that it invites us to ponder what is it about religion that allows it to be a conveyance for violence um, and the contrast between that and the substance of these three faiths, which is not 
violent, but uh, reconciling, compassionate, and so forth. Um, I, th- I think religion is a conveyance that that carries uh, these important values of compassion and reconciliation, forgiveness, justice. But it is a human invention. There is a difference, as we have said before, between spirituality, which points more to these substantial things like love and justice, reconciliation, and religion, which is the institutional conveyor of that. And religion is a human invention and therefore is going to have human failing as well as human triumph. And I think that religion also then points as a conveyance to that place where our deepest and most closely held values live. And so we have a tremendous need. We have a a need to feel protective about those things. And I think when we do that, and because of the involvement of our egos and so forth, we as human beings tend to uh, do anything to protect that, and violence can be a natural outcome of that. Hmm. Uh, in the Christian tradition, I would say the Crusades, which were a horrible onslaught on both Judaism and Islam, are probably the the um, one of the outstanding examples of violence uh, happening in the name of religion. It was, I think, uh, power and money disguised as religion. But it was carried out in the name of religion, and the symbolism of the Christian cross was, well, it really became uh, something that ended up being belligerent. Um, The cross for many, many, many non-Christians is something that does not convey compassion or love or justice. Instead, it conveys this sense of belligerence, which is a tragedy, Mm -hmm. and something I, as a Christian religious leader, have to name and, and deal with. So then, uh, Brother Don, I would say that if I had to summarize it, for me, uh, the problem is that uh, religion becomes an extension of the ego, of the little self. So if one's ego is untamed, then that religion of that person also becomes untamed. It becomes an instrument not of peace, love, and compassion, but really becomes an instrument of aggression, Hmm. which is why in all the traditions, it doesn't matter... uh, with its Abrahamic or non-Abrahamic, the key work for every human being is to really, uh, as we have mentioned many times, work on the ego continuously. This is a, a lifelong process. Uh, you know, this, the example that has been said many times, and I've mentioned it frequently, uh, this metaphor by Rumi, the 13th century uh, Islamic sage, who says, a, a bee and a wasp They drink from the same flower, yet one produces nectar, the other a sting. Mm. So it really is a function of how much I I have been able to align my personality, which is nothing more than a bundle of conditioned reactions, to my soul, to my essence, to my Christ nature, my Elohim nature, my Allah nature. So that's, I think, a major problem. The other major problem, I think, about religion is that when I become uh, very attached to the religion, uh, I use religion to justify mm. my the behavior of my untamed ego. Mm. So I do this in the name of Christ. In the name of Allah, I can do it. Uh, in the name of uh, 
something religious, I can do something very drastic because it gives me the cover. I'm doing it for God. Mm. And that justifies it. And if I don't believe in religion, I can say okay. I'm doing it for a, a secular term like democracy, security, uh, values. And that becomes a cover for our untamed egos. Yeah, it's a way of having of acting in the world and not taking full responsibility for what our actions are actually creating because we are using a vocabulary that is other than descriptive of the actual things that are going on. It's like the language might say we're liberating, we are freeing, we are saving, and the actions might be we are hurting, we are destroying, we are telling people that they're not doing it right and that they've got to do it our way. I think for all our faiths, it's easier to see it's easier to see support of violence in other faiths than it is to see it in our own. And in some ways, the Jewish community has been kind of privileged by its lack of political power for so many centuries so that we've had the position of uh, experiencing more victimness, you know, and one of the difficulties with having a country of our own is that then we see this kind of activity goes with power. There's something about having power that leads us to want more and that leads us to want to solidify and bolster our power against others. Religion has a tendency to sell itself as on the basis of its rightness. Follow my faith because it's the right one. Hmm. And so even though at the heart of faith might be an awareness of a universal, an awareness of that which embraces everything, there is the experience of the reason to be this faith or that faith is that this is more right than the others. And as soon as you do that, a separation is caused. And under the guise of trying to help people, you can wind up going out, converting them or killing them in order to save their souls. Which is actually a dilemma, as you said, Jamal, of the ego. Because it is part of our personal, our, our personal structure, our personality, that wants to feel the security of being right. And if I am right, how can you also be right? And it would help me a lot if you would totally agree with me. Mm -hmm. So I look out at the world, and the more people agree with me, the more comfortable and the more secure I feel. I look out at the world, and the fewer people who agree with me, the more difficulty I might experience. Why is, the relig why is religion at the heart of so much violence is our topic, and we are going to be looking in the next segment at how has religion made both inner and outer peace more difficult. And I'd like to invite the listeners to enter into our conversation. You can reach us at 425-373-5527. Four two five three seven three five five two seven, 
or in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. Stay tuned. Unity of Bellevue is an inclusive community for spiritual growth, where all are valued, where positive attitudes are developed, where spiritual laws of life are taught, where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org. Commonly known as NICO, Northwest Interfaith Community Outreach traces its history to the first anniversary of 9-11. Committed to promoting interfaith dialogue and understanding, its purpose is captured in its mission statement, celebrating spirit through interfaith collaboration and compassionate works of justice in the world. For information on how to get involved, go to interfaithtalkradio.com and click on NICO. It's called Bet Aleph Meditative Synagogue, and it's a spiritual community led by Rabbi Ted Falcon. I've been a seeker all my life, but I never expected to find meditation and spirituality in a Jewish context. Learn more about Rabbi Ted and Bet Aleph at jewishspiritualcommunity.com. That's jewishspiritualcommunity.com. The United Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Do you suffer from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. No shirt, no shoes, no problem. Come as you are. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie. And you 
are involved with us in a deepening dialogue on matters of concern to interfaith spirituality. I would like to make two announcements before we continue. One is that next week our special guest will be Father William Tracy, who is one of the fathers of interfaith dialogue in the Pacific Northwest. And I think you'll want to tune in, even though it turns out next Monday is a holiday. We will be here, and we will be here with Father Tracy. We've decided to add a segment toward the end of our program on spiritual practices that you might be able to use to support your own evolving spirituality. So toward the end of this program today, um, Brother Jamal Rahman will be sharing a practice from his Muslim tradition. And I'm mentioning it now because you might want to get ready to write down some of the steps of the process that he'll share. So you might want to have a pencil and pen or paper ready for that. And we are involved right now in looking at some of the negative impacts that religion seems to have on our society and on ourselves. With the question, how has religion made inner and outer peace more difficult, and has it? Uh, my, my brothers, I would say that what has made it difficult is the fact that, you know, we talk about religion, we debate about religion, we fight uh, about religion, we do everything but live it, whether it's inner practice or outer behavior. We really don't follow and practice our faith. So, for example, we can, you know trot off and parrot so many beautiful quotations on peace, on compassion, in dealing with others about war, about justice, but we don't live it. So if I talk about the, the inner work, if I just was a very simple Muslim and I basically followed the work which is enjoined in doing the inner work, which really is very inconvenient. It's about, as we always say, about gathering these scattered fragments of my ego and surrendering to God. Islam means to surrender, but to, to surrender to God is a lifelong process of truly becoming aware of your ego with compassion and awareness. I'd rather focus more on your faults or your faults. It's much more easy. And you're fortunate that we have plenty of them for you to focus on. <laughs> yes. We do make life easier for you. And, and as, as, as the Buddha said, I love his quotation, he says, dwelling on your brother's faults multiplies your own. Well, there is that. And then if you see, if I believe that my religion is the best, if I really mean that, then Jamal, just live it rather than try to force you to come to my point of view. So if I have that attitude that my religion, is, my religion is the best from an egoistic point of view, I spend all my energy and time in forcing you, in convincing you to come around to the Islamic point of view rather than just living a simple, clear, basic Islamic life, which is about peace and surrender to God. Right. You know, the other thing, Jamal, I was thinking as you were talking that when I, when I hear the words inner and outer peace, I think of, of course, the peace of my soul versus the, 
outer peace would be uh, living a life that doesn't include violence, wars, and so forth. And uh, bringing forward now what we were talking about, the first uh, segment where we agreed, I think, that the ego uh, is um, a driver in um, making us want to protect what that the things that we believe in. And it, it tries to convince us that if, as Ted said, other people just would believe the same thing we would, everything would be fine. But I think that at another level of our being, there's a lack of equilibrium there because the, we know – or we want to live in some kind of harmony with other human beings, some kind of community of cooperative egos rather than isolated egos. And and so there's a, a disconnect um, because the ego is in charge of the protection of ourselves, at least uh, ourselves in the sense of uh, thinking of something that can be isolated from other selves. But I think that another part of our being is also in charge of wanting our uh, selves to be in community and in harmony with other selves. And that can't happen if I subject you or I subject Ted to my religion. Uh, on the other hand, if we are in a, in a healthy conversation where the truths of our religion are, are being named, their cards face up on the table, and we have good, vigorous conversations about that, and we're looking for ways to be cooperative, especially when there are so many needs in this world right now where cooperation could help to overcome all kinds of awful violence and injustice and so forth. That would be a different world. Mm. It's interesting. Sometimes I think that we spend so much time talking about our faiths or talking about the teachings we forget, as you say, Jamal, to live them. Sometimes I look at the worship service. People come together, and I wonder, does anything happen? Namely, are people different when they walk out than they were when they walked in? Or has the religious service just functioned as a kind of comfortable container for keeping people in the same place, you know, for making people comfortable rather than challenging them to really look at their lives and really look at their actions. Not just political this, political that, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't, but to look at the way you're treating the people closest to you, to look at the way you're treating the people you're working with, to consider whether you're opening your heart and can experience them as full human beings like yourselves, to begin not only where I am inside myself, but to begin in the world in which I live. And Eric is uh, our engineer, is gesturing wildly to us, indicating... <laughs> that he's got a caller online. Yes, you asked for phone calls, and so we've got Stephen on the line, and he's got a comment. Well, I actually had a question, and the question really uh, that I'd like the three of you to address from each perspective is when we talk about violence done in the name of religion, each of the sacred texts 
has within it violence. So those very texts are used as justification uh, for for the violence that's done. And I'd like to hear you speak to that. Okay, so Stephen, whose voice we all recognize, <laughs> Stephen Merritt, I hope you're feeling okay. I'm feeling better. Great. Um, listening to us and thinking, okay, what kind of question can I give these guys? And I really appreciate your calling. I, I like the question, Stephen. It, it, it is true that we point to certain areas of sacred texts to justify uh, actions, and they can be violent or repudiative and so forth. And uh, It has to do, I think, with the, how we, each of us, view the authority of Scripture. Uh, do we take every word in the Bible to be uh, authoritative, or how do we deal with this? And uh, for myself, um, I try to maintain a core understanding of Jesus' message, and then apply that to other parts of uh, Scripture and try to see how it how it um, relates to it. Is it consistent with the, what I think of as the substance of Jesus' message having to do with love and justice, reconciliation, and so forth? Or does it conflict somehow? Does it in conflict with what I take to be the the essence of the of the Christian message? And and I think for me. It's not just how I deal with it, but it's how I deal with it within my particular congregation, my community of faith, because it's a discernment process that requires more than just me looking at the text. It, it requires a conversation among people in the congregation so that we're feeling that we have some way of uh, moving forward with some kind of some kind of consensus on it. But I think it's a very important question. Yeah, there's, it's also, is, is, the, is there an evolutionary process going on in the development of our traditions? Or are we simply scripturally based faiths and that scripture is the last word? Mm -hmm. And I think in all of our traditions, our scriptures are interpreted and they are foundations upon which we can... Uh, kind of which reflect our own process and which we can trust to help us grow. We are multidimensional beings, and the text itself is multidimensional, multileveled. And there are examples of ego battles within our scriptures, and there are reflections of the highest of spirituality. When I look at a text that was written thousands of years ago, I don't I'm not surprised that it has elements of brutality and violence. I am surprised at the incredible clarity of the spiritual wisdom that it contains. Hmm. And for me it reflects all aspects of ourselves and brings us to the choice that we always have to make and reminds us of the possibilities the possibilities for love and the possibilities of violence that we also that we always have to keep in mind and we'll be back because that was a good question which we will continue to look at this is interfaith talk radio please listen to the sponsors who allow us to talk to you we'll be right back what you
Empowerment Partnership, empowering the lives of thousands of people around the world just like you. Their mission is to empower you with an understanding of what makes you and others tick and to teach you the tools and techniques that will unlock your hidden gifts. The Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. To learn more, call 1-800-800-MIND or go to www.nlp.com. Mention the Dr. Pat Show to receive a special discount. Occasional indigestion got you down? After meals, do you feel bloated, heavy, tummy hurt? Does occasional heartburn and indigestion or a just plain tired feeling take the energy out of your day? Vital digestive enzymes are needed to properly digest food and E12 provides them all. Customers often report a dramatic life improvement. Visit DigestEasy.com. That's DigestEasy.com. And discover E12 food enzymes, the digestive secret thousands have benefited from. Bonjour. My name is Veronique Raskin. I founded the Organic Wine Company 25 years ago. If you love wine and have not tried our French wines, you are in for a treat. Nowadays, people everywhere are buying organic fruits and vegetables because they know they taste better. Organic grapes are so luscious. When turned into wine, you can really taste the difference with every sip. So our wines are delicious and eco-friendly. So I want to make it easy for you to try them out. Call me right away at 1-888-ECO-WINE and I will send you three of my favorite organically grown French wines at half off the regular price. That's just $25 per shipping. Isn't that magnifique? I think so. If you don't share my enthusiasm, I'll gladly refund your money. So take me up on my offer and call me at 1-888-ECOWINE. E-C-O-W-I-N-E. Au revoir. Want to get out of the rat race and stay out? Let Mary Hendrickson, cash flow specialist from First Horizon Home Loans, show you how. Mary takes 27 years of successful banking and brokering and turns them into stepping stones that pave the way to your financial independence. All loans closed for Dr. Pat Show listeners receive a $300 reduction in closing costs. Call Mary today at 425-576-2249 and begin your path to financial freedom. That's 425-576-2249. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Independent programs, independent voices, independent ideas. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, and streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com, where you can also find further information about the three of us and join in a dialogue about the show itself. I want to remind you that in the next segment, Jamal will be sharing a spiritual practice and you may want to get ready to have to write down some of that which he will share with you. So you might want to get a pen and paper. Right now we're talking about 
why has religion been so deeply embedded in the heart of the violence we experience? Religion is supposed to make us more conscious of the preciousness of the life we share. And we've been inviting callers to share with us what you see. How does your faith help you to be more loving? Or does it? And we are continuing with a question from Stephen having to do with how do we deal with the violence that is in our spiritual texts, in our scriptures. Uh, I'd like to reiterate what Gandhi always said, that uh, even though it's very, very beautiful and it's a sacred duty to really have an appreciative understanding of other religions, and he said always note the key words, it is the sacred duty and to have an appreciative understanding. But his other point was to acknowledge that all our religions have awkward verses. He called them, they have truths and untruths. And certainly in our Abrahamic faiths about violence, there are awkward verses. In the Islamic faith, particularly what is uh, important to point out is when extremists use these Quranic verses, almost always they're taking it out of context. We have this concept of eye for an eye in the Abrahamic faith. But the lines preceding those is in the Quran, is, it says, mandated is the law of equality. That is to say, in the 7th century, which was considered an age of savagery, where for one killing there were ten time, tenfold more killings, to put a stop to that tribal custom of retaliation, the Quran repeated again and again, mandated is the law of equality. If you have to uh, respond, it has to be on the basis of equality. But the line always following that, which the extremists always misuse or don't use at all, is always a line in the Quran which says, but if you forgive, this is far better. God wants you to forgive. So in all our traditions, the concept, the idea, the energy of compassion, love, forgiveness is actually the central theme. So in the Quran, I, I like to point out, this one verse really reflects the verses on uh, how to respond to evil. This one verse says, repel evil with something which is better. So he with whom you have enmity becomes your bosom friend. It's a Quranic injunction, but that doesn't mean... Muslims, Muslims will follow that. It doesn't mean non-Muslims will follow that. So it almost sounds like <clears throat> we can use our scriptures to justify pretty much whatever we want them to justify, which, which raises into question the nature of not only scripture, but it's always flowing through our understanding and our motivations. And how do we know whether our motivations are coming from places which are growthful and helpful and loving and compassionate and kind. How do, we, how do we know how we are using our faiths? Well, again, I think that the, uh, a community of faith in a conversation about the substance and meaning of Scripture is one of the ways that provides a check and a balance. Um, and... I think that your words, Ted, are, you know, is, is this something that points to the substance of faith or is it simply defensive that can lead to violence? Those are the kinds of things that 
communities need to be asking, those are questions communities need to be asking all the time because, as you said before, you know, a community can simply um, lead to supporting itself, uh, supporting the status quo, or it can not only provide sort of that pastoral comfort and care for people, but also challenge, challenge the status quo in ways that lead to growth and so forth, and that's that's crucial. Yeah, the, the prophetic ideal was always you could know who the real prophet is or the voice of the prophet, because in a time of ease, the prophet will talk uh, harshly, namely talk about, in your ease, you have forgotten the way. But in a time of difficulty, the prophet will address that difficulty with words and visions of promise and of possibility. But I like what you say, Don, about the participation of a community in dialogue so that it's not simply taking off on a particular interpretation and flinging that out into the world, but creating a conversation around it. And I see that as part of the promise of the interfaith mm. dialogue. Right. As where, a, yeah. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but as also essential, we have to include the community of women. For each of our Abrahamic faiths, we must give women their rightful voice. As we have, we have always said, there's no such thing as a Torah or the Christian scriptures or the Quran saying this. The question is, who says the Quran says this? Right. And when women interpret it, it's quite different. Mm. So it is essential. We have to give women their rightful voices in interpretation of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, you know, when you say that, I just, I'm just suddenly reminded that you um, have been tutored by your parents, both of them. Yes. And so got both of those perspectives. Uh, and so that was your sort of intimate community of faith. And, and I assume then that was expanded in other other ways. I, I was very fortunate that uh, I, I, I was brought up by women who were really well-versed in the Quran and who really knew the Quran, had their interpretation of the Quran. It's interesting that in the heyday of Islamic civilization, there was a, a very diverse community interpreting the verses of the Quran. And that was very rich, very beautiful, very powerful, very productive. That Thank has ceased. Yeah. Right. And I, um, Eric Ryder, our uh, engineer, is telling me we've got a phone call. That's right. We've got Cindy on the line. <clears throat> Hi. I, this question goes to the entire panel. I was just wondering if you could address the relationship between fundamentalism and the violence that tends to evolve out of that belief system, and specifically what draws an individual to a fundamentalist belief system. Good question. Of course, I'm one of those who has the peculiar notion that we're all fundamentalists, <laughs> and all of us have a tendency to cling to our own belief system and our own view of the world. But we think that we are the progressive ones or we are the sane ones and we look at activities of others and we can see the fundamentalism in them. So we tend to think, ah, the fundamentalist is one who is covering their fear or covering their insecurity by clinging to some kind of religious system or um, point of view, when in fact all of us do that. And what we tend to call, you know, in 
Cindy, in your question is, is those people who are clinging to beliefs that support acts of violence. And there are all kinds of fundamentalists, really. Uh, for many fundamentalists, it's not a religious issue, Cindy. It's really an issue of having been, in their opinion, their perspective, being repressed uh, politically, economically, then religion just becomes a cover uh, to justify their fight. Uh, That's one group of fundamentalists. And the other group of fundamentalists, I would say, among many others, is that over a period of time when they truly, some people feel chronically, in a prolonged period of time, repressed and oppressed, the Quran says, it's not that their eyes have become blind, their hearts have become blind. And so they react and justify their violence. And they do this through, usually through some verse out of context from religion in each of the scriptures. I think I, I love the question. I, I'm so grateful for it. I think of the fundamentalist in me response to the need for some kind of certainty, anything to cling to, just to have a place to be in a world that is so chaotic and so noisy and, and so changing uh, that the fundamentalist in me wants to, wants to grab something. Uh, I think the thing that makes the, the question difficult, actually for all three of us, is that it can lead so much to a we-they, well, those people do this and that. And, of course, we, you know, the, the, I think it, it would be tempting to say, well, those people do this or that. But we're trying to be in a place where we move away from that kind of we they to something where we can in, where we can actually sustain uh, a good conversation and actually hear stories of the other, right? And, and invite on, other on, people on, a, on a human level, yeah. So that you know, there's a new place to have this conversation rather than simply pointing the finger. I remember once I said in a sermon that the fundamentalist controversy has been one of the most destructive things that happened in religion in the 20th century, and somebody afterwards said, that's the most destructive thing I've ever heard. (laughs) She was right. 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 And yet I had no, at that point, I had no way of dealing effectively with what she was saying, so that's been a, a real challenge. Great. Cindy, thank you very much for your phone call. We are going to be taking a break, and When we come back, we're going to look at how can religion better contribute to healing and to wholeness. And we are going to be concluding with a teaching from Brother Jamal that might support your own personal spiritual evolution. This is Interfaith Talk Radio, 1150 AM. We'll be right back. Minute with Mary Manna Morrissey is an inspirational one-minute phone call sent daily to the phone of your choice. It's only $9.95 a month, and when you mention the Dr. Pat Show, you'll receive a month free with your subscription. So contact Karen at Life Solutions, that's Karen at Life Solutions, L-I-F-E-S-O-U-L-U-T-I-O-N-S, or call 503-922-3460. Again, that's 503 503- 922-3460 to start receiving your daily Miracle Minute. Occasional indigestion got you down? After meals, do you feel bloated, heavy, tummy hurt? Does occasional heartburn and indigestion or a just plain tired feeling take the energy out of your day? Vital digestive enzymes are needed to properly digest food and E12 provides them all. 
Customers often report a dramatic life improvement. Call 1-866-NO-BLOAT. That's 1-866-NO-BLOAT. And discover E12 Food Enzymes, the digestive secret thousands have benefited from. Introducing a fantastic new breakthrough in oral detoxification from Natural Cellular Defense. It safely removes poisons and heavy metal toxins from the body that may be the cause of many chronic illnesses. It's safe enough for a baby. Presented by CopiousHealth.com. For more information, call 206-423-6596. That's 206-423-6596. CopiousHealth.com. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACEs, authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. For more information, call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. There's nothing else like it on the dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And here we are at Interfaith Talk Radio on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com, where you can find out more about us and where you can leave us comments and enter into the deeper dialogue on interfaith spirituality. We're talking about how can religion better contribute to healing and to wholeness, And for me, the beginning is to emphasize those aspects in each of our traditions which help us open to the heart of wholeness and peace that is within each of us. I feel that each and every one of us is connected to a source that itself radiates compassion and peace. And when we are supported in environments of peacefulness, we awaken to that truth. And the injunction to love another flows more naturally. It's no longer a rule. It's how we look at each other. Often at retreats and other workshop environments, I will teach people to count off. Usually you go one, two, three, four. So as a game, I have people count one. Everybody counts one. One, 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 one. So that we could be reminded that every time we look at another person, we could tell ourselves, there goes another one. Because each and every person is one. Each of us has a wholeness and an integrity to our being that yearns to be seen and yearns to be supported I believe that this is an integral teaching of each of our faiths that can, in fact, be supported more directly through the teaching and through the worship experience. 
I think we need to help each other celebrate the one we are. And I think that the another thing that can happen that will help religion contribute to healing and wholeness is the need for each of us to listen to the stories of others so that we can learn to let go of that feeling that we have to protect our way. I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed so much about my association with you, Ted, and with you, Jamal, Thank you. is the sense that as I hear your stories, I'm encouraged to think my story can contribute to the common good rather than repress it or dominate it or the things that it has often done. Um, and to me, that 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 is a good, at least first step, uh, in the direction of moving away from the violence that has that has characterized much of at least public religious uh, expression. When, right. When you're sharing, also includes a listening and an invi- exactly. and the invitation for the other to share with you. It's a whole other right. dimension. Right. And as I said earlier, uh, you know, if we simply follow the tenets of our faith. Uh, with not just in form but in essence, that'll go a long way in creating peace. So if I look at what is common to all the Abrahamic traditions, number one, it says, transform yourself. Gather the fragments of your ego and go beyond that. Uh, Number two, it says, be of service. Be a lamp, a lifeboat, or a ladder. And number three, the point that both of you mentioned, to know that we're all interconnected. As the Quran says, everywhere you turn is the face of Allah. We've got a caller, I understand. We do. Let's go to the phones and get Marco's thoughts. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Marco. Hey, Marco. Um, As you talk about the use of religion or perhaps religious dogma in violent and negative ways, I'm struck by the generality of your observations. Uh, Even when thinking about altruism, I've wondered at times, how can you tell when somebody's altruism is truly um, born of love and grace, and when is it just advancing a personal agenda, um, trying to relieve oneself of guilt or convince oneself that they're a good person? And I think, fundamentally, it's not an intellectual judgment, and perhaps this is one of the challenges you face on the radio, is addressing an audience without the immediate experience of yourselves. And... I think if someone has had the fortune to experience that grace of unconditional love and generosity, um, then they can recognize that quality in others. And is it not that love and connection that really heals us? Hmm. So well said, Barco. So well said. Yeah. And it is a challenge to experience, to open to that, and to communicate that. And it's always a hope that somehow with our words we can inspire the reawakening of that. Marco, thank you for your call. It's a question that deserves more attention than we have to give it right now. For those of you who are waiting with something to write with to receive the particular teachings that might be supportive of you, this week from Brother Jamal Rahman. My friends, I'd like to share a technique which some of you know because it's not new, but no technique is really ever new. It's just a question of doing it. So if I may just put it simply, uh, in very easy steps, uh, the technique is called sacred holding. And the idea is that any negative emotion which comes up in you 
is simply begging your attention, your acknowledgement. Uh, as some uh, great teachers have said, uh, it simply wants to be kissed. And it has an edge. It has this sharpness that we call anger, pain, rage, uh, or, or, or a quality of sadness about it, uh, gloom, only because it is separated from us. And we are unfortunately conditioned to push it away, not realizing that, as I said, this energy is really begging our attention. And if we keep pushing it away and pushing it away, then one day, as the masters say, they will rise and revolt. So anytime you experience what you think is a negative feeling, at the earliest opportunity when you have some time, uh, go through these four steps. Ask yourself, number one, what am I feeling? What was I feeling? Can I give myself permission to magnify that feeling, knowing that this is in the interest of healing? Allow myself, give myself permission to, with compassion for myself, little by little, to expand that feeling. Now, having said that, I want to say what makes this program, this four-point step, sacred is to remember two things. One is to always do this with compassion for yourself, with gentleness, mercy for yourself. I repeat, always remembering to do this and other programs which transform yourself with mercy, with compassion for yourself. So the first step is with compassion for yourself. And the second thing was little by little, this part of compassion. Allow yourself to experience that feeling. If you like using your own judgment, magnify it. Point number two, step number two. Locate this feeling as a physical sensation in your body. Where do you feel that in your body which you call anger or sadness? It certainly has a physical location. So point number two is locate that energy which you've magnified. It has a physical holding in your body. That's point number two. Step number three is with compassion for yourself, with mercy for yourself, embrace it. Simply be present with it. No need to fix it, no need to analyze it, but a great need simply to be present with it. This is called sacred trembling. And this is the process which really, as Rumi says, opens and lifts your wings. With mercy for yourself, just be present with it. Be gentle and just embrace it tenderly and fold it with the wings of your tenderness. And step number four, as you're doing this sacred trembling, as it's called, focus on that physical holding and intend, intention equals action in subtle realms, intend to breathe through it. Feel the divine breath going in and out through that point of view, through, the, through that physical holding. Number one, as I, I just want to repeat, uh, magnify it, locate it, be with it. Number four, breathe through it. Mm, thank you, Jamal. And it'll be our intention to share, each of us, at the conclusion of each of our programs, some practice to help all of us evolve spiritually. This is Interfaith Talk Radio. Next week we'll be on with one of the pioneers of the Interfaith Dialogue in the Pacific Northwest, Father William Tracy. Thank you, Eric, our engineer. Thank you to our callers, and thank you most of all to you, our listeners. We'll see you next week.
views expressed on the preceding program are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. This is Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNW, Seattle. This is Beatrice with your KKNW traffic update. 90 East is clear except for a short stop-and-go section just past Mercer Island. 90 West.